Welcome to the Twinkle Trainee Teachers and ECTs podcast. My name's Simeon, I was a teacher for eight years, I was a maths lead, an RE lead and several other things, but the absolute highlight of my career for me was getting to work with trainee teachers and helping them begin their careers on the right foot. And hello, my name is Ashley, I'm a former primary school teacher, teaching predominantly in Key Stage 2, but I've also had experience in Key Stage 1 as an LSA and I've had some experience in nurseries as well, so I'm a bit experienced in all areas of primary school education. And I just really love helping you guys feel comfortable and confident when you step in that classroom, regardless of if you are a trainee or an ECT. Today's show is all about planning. We're going to kind of do an all-encompassing episode and we'll get in as much info as we can. So we're going to talk about the different types of planning, how you can adapt plans and how you can plan something from scratch. We'll also share our planning top tips at the end, so please stick around for that. Just before we get going, Ashley will share our social media links with you if you'd like to get in contact with us. Yeah, and just a quick one, we know that planning is such a huge topic that if you do have any questions, please reach out to us on any of these platforms. So we are on Facebook, we have two pages on there, which is the Twinkle Training Teachers and the Twinkle ECTs and NQTs page. We also have two community groups on there, which is great to talk to other like-minded individuals as yourselves, which is the Twinkle Training Teachers Group and the Twinkle ECT slash NQT support group. We are on Instagram at Twinkle Training Teachers, we're on TikTok at Twinkle Training Teachers, Twitter at Training Twinkle, and we also have a dedicated YouTube page which is called the twinkle training teachers and ects and like we said if you've got any questions please 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 reach out to us and we are always here to help okay well before we even start the show i think i should address the obvious ashley's back so uh, (laughs) welcome back ashley and uh congratulations Thank you very much. Yeah, I left to have a baby. Um, she is seven months old now, nearly eight months. So it is back to get into the swing of things. And I'm really glad to be back. Well, we're really glad to have you back. And, uh, you know, I'm sure hopefully an episode on planning won't be too stressful for your first one back. Um, we'll yeah, see how it goes. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to this. I quite like um the I, I don't know I don't know if you call it the more boring side of teaching but like the more day-to-day side of teaching I always find quite interesting so I'm looking forward to this one yeah and I remember as a, as a trainee as a teacher myself I always found these were the subjects that I could pick up the most hints and tips for um as they are sort of the deeper um more detailed subjects so hopefully you guys listening will find it useful Okay, so we're going to throw a lot of information at you, but as Ashley said at the start, if you have any questions, feel free to get in contact with us. I think firstly, we'll just run through the different types of planning. So uh, I'll I'll kick off with short-term planning. So this is the most common one you're likely to experience, especially as a trainee. So when we say short-term planning, we're really talking about daily and weekly planning for most schools. And it, it, it can be different in every school, but usually you'll need to produce plans for every single lesson you do. Sometimes you might also produce a weekly overview of what you're going to do that the school would want to see. I've seen early years settings where it's more an overview of the activities 
that will be mm-hmm. out that week, but they still need to plan something. So uh, it's important just when you're in school to ask your teacher if you can have some copies of their daily plans and if weekly plans are required as well, just so you've got both formats. And the real headache for trainees sometimes with short-term planning is that quite often you have to use your training provider's format which might Mm -hmm. be different to the format your school uses yeah they're definitely more detailed from from my memory um the university proformers were quite in depth but obviously that is just to show that you are covering everything i remember as in in my experience i used to use weekly plans once i was um, an nqt i used to work um off my weekly plans a lot more than specific lesson ones but if i was doing um, a very detailed lesson or a very sort of complicated one i used to find it um, really useful to sort of write everything down on the daily but as a trainee you'll definitely be using daily sort of by lesson lesson plans yeah and that's a, a key word is detail so your daily plans will be the most detailed of all your plans. So that's going to go right into the extensions, the differentiation, who will be working with which group, who's going to be independent, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But if we zoom out a bit, Ashley, could you tell us a bit about medium term planning? Yeah, so medium um, term planning are usually over a half term or maybe a term, depending on how your school does it. And it's usually covering a specific Topic. So if you were doing, um, for example, newspaper articles in your literacy lessons, you would usually have a medium term plan across that half term of what you are planning to teach each lesson to make sure that at the end of that half term, you have um, covered everything possible. And you usually see these as well with your sort of topic um, subjects such as geography and history. It's what are you going to be covering all the way across that half term or term. So they're not as detailed, like Samin said, as the um, individual lesson plans, but you'll usually have your key objectives in there and you might have um, what you are wanting to assess or when you're going to assess. Um, So there's just key bits of information just to keep you on track. And I've noticed some schools now are doing kind of topic webs, which Mm. I really like. So they... Yeah, so it's just all the different branches they're going to cover in those topics and they'll even send those out to the parents. My daughter's school does that, which I really appreciate. So I get an idea of what's coming up in the next six to seven weeks and I can kind of do some things with her at home as well and also talk to her about it because like like most children, she instantly forgets what she's done at school (laughs) as soon as she leaves the gates. Right, so... Yeah, kind of medium term plan, sort of medium level of detail, might have some curriculum objectives on there, but probably not anything much more than that. Now, if we zoom out to long term planning, this is going to be pretty sparse from uh, Mm -hmm. how my school used to do things. For, For our maths, for example, it was literally just a list of the units we were going to do and the order they'd be in. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely showing the order, isn't it? I found that with maths, you know, looking at, you, you know, you might do percentages or things once you've done a little bit more of multiplication or all that sort of thing. It's just getting your order um, in in order. So now we'll go to kind of one of the most common concerns for trainees, and it is something that, that's changing, I think. It's changed since I trained, and that's how to plan from scratch. And the reason I say it's 
changed is because since I trained, more and more schemes of work have been produced and using schemes has become more and more popular and acceptable in schools across the curriculum. So I think teachers haven't been necessarily de-skilled in planning, but they've had less opportunity to plan things from scratch. And I, I don't know how much chance trainees get to do that anymore. So I thought we'd, we'd go over it just to see if we can help a bit. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that does go a long way in helping with work-life balance and things if you are following a scheme, because it does lessen the workload for you. But I do think being able to plan a unit or a lesson from scratch is a skill that all teachers should have and should feel confident in. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's one of those things, once you get proficient in it, it will save you time, but it Mm -hmm. takes more time up front to learn that skill. But if for whatever reason in the future, you find that the scheme of work you have isn't working for your class or you need to change things up, it's really important that you have that skill set. So if I was going to plan a unit from scratch, I mean, obviously it depends which subject we're in but let's let's say hypothetically we're going to plan an english unit from scratch okay i might start by looking at the national curriculum objectives for my age group and working out what i wanted to cover roughly what would be reasonable to cover in a six-week period and obviously if you're at the start of the year the objectives you're looking at might be a bit different to the ones at the end of the year where you're likely to be kind of recovering things you've already taught that didn't quite uh, go in for want of a better phrase <laughs> no that's definitely true and i think um with a lot of the schools definitely the schools that i taught at we used to have skills progression maps which is basically taking the national curriculums this should be something that's on your systems in the school um and it just goes through what skills the children should have been taught the year before you and what they're going to be teaching and what they're going to be taught the year after you, which is a nice way of having a look. If you can have a look at those, you should have a bit of an idea of, oh, if I'm assuming that they can do that, maybe the first lesson you might want to leave a bit, little bit longer to sort of go over things that they might not um, have automatically remembered, especially at the start of the year. Those six weeks are a long time for those children to forget things. Yeah, and those can be a lot friendlier to look at than the national curriculum, actually. And Twinkle have some really good ones on site, so we'll link to that in the Mm. description of this podcast. But yeah, those those are a really nice way of visualising what needs to be done. So once you've got those, then you want to think about how many weeks is this unit going to last? Is it six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks? How are you going to break down these objectives over that time and um, the real thing for me with English is I always try to pin everything around a book so do you have a book you can link this all to that's going to tie everything together Mm -hmm. a book or some poems or just something that you can really sort of anchor into um, and build around and it also helps your children because they will be getting engrossed in the resources that you're using and it's not just standalone lessons I always found with literacy if I had a completely standalone grammar lesson or for example as we didn't have separate grammar lessons I could tell that the children weren't quite as engaged as if I'd used a book or a poem or a visual aid um, that they could really get stuck into. Um, they want a purpose, children, when they're when they're learning things. And if you can give them a purpose and give them an anchor, hopefully you will get better results. 
And this is also where you could consider cross-curricular teaching to make your life easier. So, for example, when I was in year three, four, one book that I based a whole unit of work around was Stone Age Boy. And mm -hmm. also my topic for that term was the Stone Age. So I kind of got to double up. And you might think, well, can one book really be interesting for eight weeks? And if you're going into it in real detail, in real depth, one week is kind of two pages of that book and really looking at what's going on. Maybe you're doing a character study or maybe you're writing a description about yeah. what happens, the setting in those two pages. Then, yeah, a, a one book can, can absolutely be interesting for eight weeks. Yeah, and I really don't want you to worry if you're not particularly um, clued up on all of the books that are appropriate for the age of children that you will be teaching. A lot of the time, when it comes to long-term planning and medium-term planning, your schools will set out your topics, like Simeon just said, with the Stone Age, and usually they will have books that they would want you to use in that those circumstances. It might not happen all the time, but in a lot of the schools that I taught in, it was, you are having this topic, and these texts would be appropriate, especially if you're in a school that has more than one form. Um, if you've got a partner teacher, they'll probably know what books they've used beforehand, or you can decide amongst yourselves. So I don't want you panicking now thinking you've got to know books to use for every single topic, because that is is something that you probably won't have to come across. Um, and there's also lists that are available if you search on any appropriate search engine um, that will probably help you with that as well. Yeah, actually, we have a good book list, so I'll put that in the description <laughs> as well. Uh, the other thing you might want to think about is, are there any particular types of lesson that need to be taught each week? So, for example, with English, do you need to be doing a whole class read or do you need to be doing a spelling and grammar discrete lesson? Mm -hmm. Is that something your school requires? And can you link that in with your book and your topic? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. It's not the end of the world if you can't. If you were doing maths, you might have to do a maths investigation every week. That's yeah. something my school de does. Or if it's humanities, say if it's geography, you might need to fit some field work into your six weeks. Or with history, you might need to teach research skills. So um, it's really important to look at the, the skills map and think, OK, am I going to have to teach some discrete lessons here? And is that planned in? Do I have time to do that? Yeah. Another thing that you might want to be thinking about, which as a trainee, you might not um, need to think about your mentor probably will. But if you're an ECT and it's your first or second year as an ECT, you might want to be thinking about if there's any trips or things outside of the school that you want to be planning in um, to your topics or one off I used to call them amazing lessons. If you are, I always remember, you know, with, with science, if you're going to be doing some um, standalone, really impressive experiment, um, when are you going to do that? What do you want them to know before you do that? If you're going on a trip, you don't want, you might want it really at the start of the topic so that they can just get really engrossed. Or you might want it further along so that they've got some prior knowledge before they go in. So those are the sort of things that you might want to be planning, plotting down ideas of when. So it's it's the order that's really important. 
Yeah, I agree. It's really nice to have a wow lesson Mm. to kick off a topic and something celebratory to end it on. So you can celebrate everything they've learned. Maybe they even have a a chance to demonstrate what they've learned. I mean, lower down the school, planning a party for a particular character or a person is is a really good way of doing that because... Uh, yeah, obviously they have to know know something about that character to do it. I think one thing that is kind of so obvious it gets forgotten a lot is just planning your assessment in and making sure you've planned something at the start, like Ashley said, so you know where they are at the start of the unit and you can evidence progression at the end of the unit and that will make your life so much easier and it doesn't need to be a big thing um one one thing i i really liked in year one that a former teacher mentor of mine did was they would just have this this big a3 book and they would be asking questions to the whole class at the start of the topic and the ta would just scribe down anything the children said and put which child said it and often you wouldn't get very much at the start of the topic. And then they would just do the same thing at the end of the topic. And at the end of the year, she had this book that she could just give to the head that really clearly showed the learning. And you couldn't really argue with it. It It was there and you could add in photos and all sorts. That's amazing. What I used to love to do as well was ask them what they wanted to learn about the topic. Now, this does go yeah. more into your history, geography lessons, things like that, maybe even your science lessons. But it is a case of you let them know what they're going to be learning about this half term. Say, for example, it was the Romans. You can ask them what they already know. And like Simeon said, you can do something like that or you can fill it in on their books. And then I always wanted to ask them, what would they like to learn? And some of the questions you would never think about and you would never think to give them that information. But it's great because then they take ownership over that. If it comes, if you can remember who said it, you know, three lessons down the line, you can say, oh, you asked to learn about this. Oh, we're going to today. And they can get really excited. Um, And yeah, it's just it's just a great way to really include them and get that pupil voice um, as it can be really great to show and showcase that you're doing that. Yeah. And I think if you're going to take that more inquiry based approach where you're following the children's lead a bit more, that is really rewarding for the children. But you have to be a bit more confident because your plans won't be so much set in stone. They've got to be a bit more fluid and adaptable. So you might plan the first couple of weeks quite tightly and then Mm -hmm. leave yourself more wiggle room to explore the things that come up, but then, you know, you, you have to have the confidence to do yeah. that. Which will come. So again, if you're listening and you're starting to panic, please, please, please don't. You will get that confidence once you've taught a few lessons, once you've sorted out your first unit, um, you will gain the confidence to do that. Um, and also what I, I remember my university tutor would always say to me, if I made a weekly plan, if I needed to change things to annotate my plans, because that goes and that shows that you are reflecting, you're evaluating your lessons. So if it is a case of, you know, you've you've um, tried to do an inquiry-based approach and, you know, your lesson three doesn't quite fit with what the children want to learn. You can annotate your plan and say, oh, we've changed to this because such and such and such. And it just shows that you are an adaptable teacher. So please don't worry uh, about if your plans change because they do. That's the nature of plans. Sometimes they change and being adaptable is a real great skill to have as a teacher. 
Yeah, no, I'll say the first time you try kind of medium term planning, let's say, it probably will go a bit wrong. Okay, but you can show it to your teacher. You can get their opinion. I mean, my my teacher told me point blank I planned about half a year's work to fit into a half term. So you know, and I, I felt very silly. I'd, I'd sort of wasted a couple of extra hours doing that. But she said what I planned was good, so I just need to cut it down. And it's it's things like that. You you don't you don't know until you do it. Okay, let's let's move on because we've got uh, quite a lot to cover. So Ashley, what about adapting a pre planned unit what do you think yeah so i mean a pre-planned unit can be great like we were saying for work-life balance and things if you've already got plans set in place that might be that your school does a rotation on their planning and they use just the previous year's planning quite a bit or you can download some fantastic units off twinkle if you want to um i'll put a bit of a plug in there because they are fantastic they are great time savers but you do not just pick them up and go with them. And that's that because every class and every child is different. And you need to be making sure that those plans fit not only your class, but also you as an individual, as you are the one that's standing in front of that class. So you need to be confident. You need to know what's happening and you need to know that it's it's going to work for you and your class. Um, so firstly, it's a huge topic and I'm sure we've done a podcast on differentiation before, haven't we, Simeon? Yes, we have. Yeah. It's and we have a, a big... we have a resource on it as well and scaffolding. We have so much on differentiation because it is such a huge, huge topic. But that is the buzzword for adapting pre-planned um, units. You need to be making sure that you know your class, you know what works for them. And if there's any individual needs such as SEND or EAL learners, um, you need to make sure that they're going to be able to access the work. So you might need to have to change some of the resources. Um, they may be too challenging. They might not. They might not be challenging enough. Um, so you just need to have a look at that pre-planned unit and sort of take bits that you like and adapt bits that you think you need to work on. Yeah, and this might sound obvious, but you, you'd be surprised. I saw a tweet on Twitter slash X the other day from a head teacher who. They had an ECT in their school and the ECT just couldn't adapt plans. So they were asking the Edu Twitter community, how can I help my ECT get more confident adapting plans? Because this is this is a problem. They just do everything verbatim how it's written down, and that doesn't always work. And I think we we can be a bit too trusting of plans, even mm-hmm. and they might have I mean most most plans and schemes of work have been written by teachers, but teachers get things wrong. A, co- mm-hmm. a common example is just how long an activity will take. Because that really depends on the children you have in your classroom and the resources you have. So one person's 20-minute activity, another class might breeze through in 10 minutes if you've got a really bright, sparky class who just do everything you are straight away. Um, so it really depends. And you need to be looking at those kind of practical elements and thinking, is this right for my class? Or can I take maybe the starter and the plenary and I've got to replan the main activity because this just isn't going to work for us. Yeah, definitely. And I think some of the plans as well that you might see um, either on your school systems or on, on, you know, Twinkle website or other websites, whatever, whatever it is that you use, sometimes they might assume that, you know, your, your classroom is big enough. If they've got activities where it's, it's a lot of moving around or 
um, pair sharing and, and talking to their peers. If you've got a classroom, if you've got a class that you need to work really hard with their behavior management and you know that letting them be completely independent and talking with, with other children, if you know that that sort of leads to behavioral issues, then that activity probably won't work for you. You might need to build on those skills to get your children to where they need to be to be able to do an activity like that. And that's not a bad thing. By knowing that about your class and adapting the plans to them, you are going to get a better outcome than just trusting the plan, like Simeon said, and just going with it and seeing what happens. And again, there might be a plan that you think, yeah, that'll work. That's absolutely fine. I'm going to go for it. And it doesn't work. Or, it, you know, you, the children don't grasp it or um, the behavior wasn't where you wanted it to be, then at least then, you know, for next time, you might need to bring it back a step and you might need to ad- adapt that plan in the future. Yeah. And I'll just say another common one from my experience where pre-planned schemes don't quite get it right is reading, because mm-hmm. let's say we've got some year three plans. They will assume that everyone in the class is at a year three reading level, which in my experience never happens. So the plans won't be suitable for the two children in your class who are at a year one reading level. And let's say your two EAL learners who are just picking up English and you will have to adapt for them. That's what being a good teacher is all about. You can't just say, well, that's what's on the plan. I'm doing it. Um, It should still save you time, though, hopefully having having these schemes. Oh, definitely. And I think that it's it's the idea generation, isn't it? it? It's making sure it's giving you the ideas of what you can go with and what you can try to do, um, which I found as a teacher, sometimes I had like what was called a writer's block and I just didn't know how, how to do it. If it's given you lots of ideas and you take them and you run with them in your own way, then that is a fantastic thing to do. What I would say is with the differentiation, a great one for adapting um, pre-plans is your um, differentiating support. So if like what Simeon said about you might have a, a, a two EAL learners that are just grasping English, if you have one of, if you're lucky enough to have a TA in your classroom, which I hope you all are, because they are fantastic. If you are, you might want to put on your plan that your TA is working with, with them or with another group, or and you might give them an independent task that is completely, that you know that they'll be able to complete themselves. And you might then have your TA working with um, maybe the learners who might need it extending. They might need to be challenged a little bit more. And by putting down what the adults in your room are doing is a fantastic way to show and to and to implement differentiation. I'd go a step further. This would actually go into my top tips, which we'll do in a second. <laughs> I, I, I would write some quick notes for the adults in your room or give them a copy of your lesson plan and highlight the bits that are pertinent to them, just so they know what group they're working with, what the learning is, and they can see your thought process too. That really helps. I always had a notebook for my TAs um, so they they knew what they were doing. Um, Shall we go on to some top tips, Ashley? Do Do you want to kick off? Yeah. So one of my first top tips is to always think about the prior learning. Please don't assume that they know the foundations of what you're going to be building on always give a little bit of time at the beginning maybe even just in the start of the lesson or if you are planning a whole unit the first lesson maybe just to consolidate the previous learning so that you know personally that they know that 
for sure. Um, because if you assume and then you're expecting them to move on and they really haven't grasped the core concept, it's going to be really difficult for you to push forward with that lesson. So always, always, always think about the prior learning, what they need to know before they know what I'm going to teach them. And I know that sounds really quite strange. Really just give a little bit of time to to just consolidate. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, and the more you can link things to prior learning, the more you'll be able to engage your students up front, which will be helpful because if they're engaged, they'll behave better and they'll, they'll want to learn. So yeah. that's really good. Um, we, talk, we talked about TAs and using mm-hmm. them very carefully. I'd say beware of a TA always being pinned to one child or a group. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking a one-to-one here. That's different. I'm talking a TA who always ends up saying working with the same four children because a teaching quote I really like is a good teacher eventually makes themselves obsolete. And the way you do that is by building up children's independence. So I think every child where possible should have some opportunity to do things independently during lessons for themselves where they can. So that's where your creativity and your thought process comes in is is there a way they could access this you know it might be cutting and sequencing pictures if their reading's not at the same level as the rest of the class or it might be um you've written out most of it and you've left some words for them to fill in and they've got a word list and they've got to find the right words and that kind of thing and then read it through and make sure it all makes sense. So um, yeah, I, I just say, make sure, like Ashley said, the TA is getting a chance to work with some of your higher ability pupils, pushing them on. Um, it's really good to have a rotation. So you're getting to work with everyone, your TA is getting to work with everyone and everyone gets some independent time. What I would say is if you're thinking about allocating a TA to, say, for example, your higher ability groups, just have a conversation with them on the subject. I know Simeon mentioned it in the plan, but just ask how confident they are when it comes to that. I remember um, working in year six as a um, one-to-one and there was a TA in there who wasn't didn't feel the most confident with her maths. And if we were at the higher ability group and she was allocated with some children and she just wasn't that confident. So the teacher took her aside before the start of the lesson, quickly showed her the work that they were going to do, asked if she had any questions, if she knew what she was doing and went through the process so that she could help those children. So it's just checking in with your TA. You don't want to put them in any position where they're not going to feel the most confident. Yeah, absolutely. And say you're putting your TA with year six maths, your high achievers, your TA might not be confident with that. It completely depends on them. They might be more of an English person, Mm -hmm. you know, so it is really worth checking um, just to make sure. I mean, I think most TAs will come to you and say, you know, can you just clarify? But yeah, always check. Um, My other big tip is, Less is more, um, but you want to have something in your back pocket. So what I mean by that is I was a constant over planner through my entire career. And I think that was because I lived in this fear that I was going to run out 
of, mm-hmm. of stuff to do and the kids would run amok because there was no stuff to do and it was absolutely ridiculous because I was working in year three so say if we finished 10 minutes early we could have just done times tables or spelling or or any of the million or handwriting or any of the other things we needed to do you know there was always stuff to do and I, I was forever pushed for time because I was trying to cram in too much so I, I'd just say a well-planned lesson with a starter and an activity that takes about 20 minutes, half an hour and time to reflect and tidy up and maybe do a, do a bit of self-evaluation at the end is great. And if you finish five minutes early, just have a few activities in your back pocket, maybe from another subject you can do, maybe even just having a sing song or playing some games mm-hmm. or doing some yoga with the kids. And I think that will take a lot of the the pressure off to like use every second of learning, um, which I know we can feel sometimes, but it's important the kids the kids get a break too between lessons. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of my top tips that goes hand in hand with that is just the timings. So you don't want to be stood at the front of the classroom just talking and talking and talking to the children. I know that might make you feel secure in the way of you've really explained what you've what the, what they've got to do and you've given them lots of examples and that you know you've modeled and you've scaffolded and you've given them examples. But if you're stood at the the front of the classroom for 30 minutes talking to them and then you've only left them 10 minutes to do the activity one yeah one they're going to have switched off anyway so probably the second half of your explanation they've probably not even listened to and two that's not enough time for them to get really stuck into the activity and your assessment will show that whatever kind of assessment you you are doing so just try and stick to nice short sharp explanations if you want to set them off on one task and then bring them back afterwards so you can give them the next task, then that is so much better than giving them a list of tasks that they've got to do because that's just going to overwhelm them. So be strict with your timings and try and be concise with your explanations. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually really like that way of doing mm. things. Or Same. you start them off easy, maybe give them something that's not going to take too long, but get some the groundwork for what you need. And then you bring them back and you say, okay, now we're going to take it up another level. We're going to make it a bit more complicated. And then the people who are getting it, they can they can push out a bit and try try and extend their learning. And the people who aren't so sure, they can go back to the task they were on and consolidate. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think don't be don't be scared as well to to let the children go where they need to go. So I remember plenty of maths lessons when we were doing work on the whiteboards and the children just weren't getting it. So I'd change the questions, I'd try and adapt. So I used to have lots of different questions and try and really think what they what misconceptions they might have or what errors they might make and try and think of something to to eradicate that in the lesson. But if it was the fact of, you know, we spent the majority of the lesson on the carpet with whiteboards and pens, I would get my TA at the end of the lesson to photocopy the whiteboards and I'd put that in their book as evidence instead of then going, right, we've spent lots of time that was really useful and the children have really worked hard on it and they've grasped it. Now I'm going to send them off to the to the tables to answer a question sheet that I knew that they weren't going to be able to, to get to or to access. I would go, actually, they've done so much learning in this lesson. They've worked really hard. I'm going to use that as evidence, put that into their book and we can move on and have a brain break or, you know, 
any of the things that Simeon have just mentioned, do a little bit of tires tables work, do a little bit of singing if it's coming towards the Christmas nativity, you need to practice your songs. It's being as adaptable as you possibly can. And I know that as a trainee and as an ECT, that's really, really difficult, particularly for trainees, as I know that your mentor will probably have your lesson plans. But if you can explain why you've done something and you've done it for the benefit of your class, then your mentor is going to take that and actually think that's a really good thing that you've done. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if the kids have learned what you wanted Mm -hmm. them to learn and you did the whole thing 10 minutes early, that's actually a bonus. If you can show that they learned it, um, that's fine. And not everything needs to be written down to be evidence. There's plenty of ways to gather evidence. Um, Yeah, so I think this will be the last tip from me is planning how your lesson's going to be marked and does it need to be marked or are photos good enough for this lesson or are the children going to produce a big piece of paper where they've all written ideas down and that's your evidence for this lesson and if you are going to have written marking are you giving yourself an opportunity to live mark during the lesson Mm -hmm. and thinking that way you can really cut down on your workload which let's face it we all want to do yeah, most definitely. And um, again, are you going to do some peer marking, some um, self-marking, giving the children the, the opportunity to assess their own learning? And I used to like to do um, how confident that they feel at the end of the lesson, as that was um, a really clear indicator to me that you might have a child that thinks they're really confident, but actually the evidence in the book isn't correct. Or you might have someone that feels like they're really not confident, but actually they've got everything right. So that might be a really good thing for you to sort of gauge where they're at. Oh, yeah. I had um, three trays in my classroom for that. And the kids could put their book where they felt. And that way I'd always just go to the tray where they weren't feeling confident. And very quickly, you probably get one or two who you thought, actually, no, you've got it. You're just maybe you're not so actually confident in yourself but you've got this and then you've got the three or four people who genuinely needed your help and you could get to them that day it's really useful yeah definitely that's a that's a lovely tip i love the idea of the trays um i just used to have um three smiley faces well a sad a neutral and a smiley face and used to color in the one that they felt uh, but no i like the trays for you for yourself the visual um my final tip is just when you are planning your lessons is just to have a think about seating plans, having a think about groups and which children are going to be with each other. And you want children, it depends on if you're wanting to do same ability, mixed ability. These are the conversations you either have, you know, with your mentor or with your partner or just to yourself. And just think about what you are wanting to get from these groupings. And again, it's just always having your your head halfway into behaviour management, trying to think about potential issues and trying to minimise those. So if you've got some children that you know are not going to work well together, don't group them together with an independent task unless you've you know got making sure that adults are going to be moving around that area. You just want to minimise the opportunity for silliness. So just have an idea before you go into the lesson of where people are going to be sitting and who are going to be working with each other. Yeah, and the chances are your class teacher might have established groups for different subjects. And if that's the case, I would probably stick with those because they've probably done that for a good reason. Yeah, definitely. But also, again, I feel like I've just said the word adaptable all the way, but I had a child, it's, it 
it's having the confidence to allowing children to be in different groups for different subjects. All children have strengths in different yeah, subjects. Yeah. And I always remember that I had a class in year four and I had one boy who would be in the sort of adult led group in literacy, but in maths, he was so, so confident, but he'd never been put in the independent group in previous years. I did that with him and his confidence blossomed because he felt like, oh, look at me, I'm trusted, I can do this. And it was just allowing that little bit of adaptable and not putting your children in boxes and allowing them the opportunities to surprise you. I love that phrase, not putting children in boxes. A classic thing I've observed in primary schools is quite often you'll have a child who can't read very well, so Mm -hmm. they often end up in in the lower ability sets, but they are amazing, say, in humanities. They've got Mm -hmm. a lot of knowledge about the world around them or about history or something, and giving them that chance to be, oh, no, I can be in the higher ability set for this group because my ideas are appreciated. That's really powerful for them. It's a real self-esteem builder, and that's going to help them shine across all subjects. It definitely is. And that's just where your differentiation comes into it, because if you know that they can give such good input and answers, you might actually have um, allow them to work on a laptop if their writing isn't that great. Or you might have them, um, you know, with a differentiated task to read so that they, they can still get that information. You're still pushing them. But maybe the thing that they might have a little bit of a weakness in, you're just adapting and you're making sure that they can do that activity independently. Okay, I think that's a really good place for us to finish. I said I was going to enjoy this one, Ashley, and I really did. (laughs) I love talking about planning. Um, Yeah, if you're listening to this episode, feel free to get in touch with us on all our social medias. You could share your planning tips because, you know, there's always new stuff out there. There's always new ways of doing things, and that's one of the reasons trainee teachers are so very valuable because they come into the profession with new ideas and new things to try so do share your ideas with us and uh thank you for listening yeah thank you so much for listening and like Simeon said just adding on that if you have got any ideas of what you would like us to do a podcast on next or that you would like some support with please get in touch we'd love to love to hear from you and you can do that by messaging us on any of our social media accounts and i will say the list again for you um so we are on facebook we have two pages we have the twinkle training teachers and the twinkle ects and nqts we have two community groups which is a great place to ask questions and get advice and get tips and that is the twinkle training teachers group and the twinkle ect slash nqt support group we're on instagram with twinkle training teachers we're on tiktok with the same name twinkle training teachers we're on twitter slash x at trainee twinkle and we have a designated youtube channel at twinkle trainee teachers and ects and that is our colleague Matisha, and she goes through so much detail about topics like planning and different things like that